Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Amen. Grab your seat. Grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. I wonder this morning, if you're a parent here, does parenting ever feel like a race? <laughs> right? I mean, you're sprinting here, you're sprinting there, you're sprinting everywhere. You're running to school, to work, back to school, then to practice, then to supper somewhere, then to lessons, then to this club or that club, to this game or to that tournament or that meet. Oh, and you got five loads of laundry to do when you get home. And only half the socks came out the wash. You know what I'm talking about? What is up with the socks? I mean, I, I think the, the washing and dryer machine companies are in cahoots with the sock companies. <laughs> they got this special setting that just eats one sock of each pair and uh, sucks them down the drain somehow, man. But parenting so often feels like a race. But what if parenting is supposed to feel kind of like a race? Now, not in the sense like the 100-yard sprint or the 100-meter dash, like you're just sprinting all the time, so busy and running everywhere. Not like that. What if more in the sense of having to pass the baton, more like the 4 by 400-meter relay, where you have to pass the baton from one person to the other to finish the race. You see, in a relay race, you don't just run. You run as a team. You run with a baton in your hand, and you run for a while, and then you have to, then you have to pass the baton on to your teammate to continue the race. That, I want to suggest to you this morning, church, is how parenting is like a race. Passing the baton of faith, parent to child, parent to to child, parent to child, from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And if that baton of faith is passed, it's passed through wisdom and truth being taught to our children. You see, Christianity, yes, it's about that risen Savior, but it's about all of the truth that comes along with that risen Savior. And so you drop biblical knowledge, biblical truth on your children. And when you do that, you are passing the baton of faith on to them. Today we're going to continue in our series called God-Shaped Parenting, where we're looking at the perfect parent, God the Father, to see how he parents so that then you and I can learn how to parent like God parents. So you want to be a godly, God-like Parent. And so last week we looked at how God is heart focused. He's not just focused on outward conformity, on behavior, He's focused on the heart. And then two weeks ago we looked at how God is God centered. Everything revolves around God. And we as parents should be the same way. We as parents should be God centered. Today's God shaped parenting concept is found in Proverbs 2. Verses 1 through 8. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. As you stand, know this, that what you hold in your hands 
is the word of God, given to us from God himself. God is the ultimate author through human authors of this book that we hold in our hands. Verses 1 through 8, it says this. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you'll call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this passage of Scripture, would you give us an understanding of what you do as a parent, Father? We want to look to you, the perfect parent. And God, that we want to emulate that. We want to imitate that so that we might be godly parents. Father, if there's anybody this morning under the sound of my voice who has not yet repented and trusted in Christ, Father, although we're not directly aimed at the gospel, your gospel, your good news is all over this message today. And I pray that they would hear the good news, turn from sin and trust in Christ and be saved. Father, move in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. And all God's people said, amen. Grab your seat right there. So did you catch the God-shaped parenting principle right there in verse 6? Look at verse 6 again. It says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so here's today's truth that comes right out of that passage. The truth that you and I should rejoice in is that God the Father gladly gives wisdom and knowledge to his children. God the Father gladly gives wisdom and knowledge to his children. Indeed, history is full of God doing just that. I mean, from the very beginning, God taught his children. We see it happening at, again in the very beginning here when God the Father is instructing Abraham, or not Abraham, but Adam right there in the Garden of Eden. Right there with Adam in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. God is teaching, he's instructing Adam in wisdom and knowledge. He says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Right there is God giving knowledge to Adam. He's laying out to Adam what is wise, what is right. Sadly for us, Adam didn't listen to his daddy, but nevertheless, his daddy shared, he spoke, he dropped knowledge on Adam. So if you ever wonder why your kids don't listen to you and disobey you, it's because they're just like their original daddy, Adam, okay? But God continued on. He didn't stop with Adam there. He continued to give wisdom and knowledge from his mouth. He, got, he covenanted with Abraham and taught him how to live a godly life. He spoke through Moses to the people, instructing them how to live as a godly nation. He spoke through the prophets and to the prophets to teach and to correct the people when they went astray. He spoke through Jesus, who was God in the flesh. And he spoke through the apostles. God the Father gladly gives wisdom and knowledge 
to his children. And guys, this is no cut rate Wikipedia knowledge, man. It's rich knowledge. It's top shelf knowledge. Inerrant, it means without error. Infallible, which means it'll never be surpassed. It will always be true. It's completely trustworthy in all of its teaching from cover to cover. Whatever it teaches on, it is the authority on. Now, let's be honest, sometimes it baffles us, right? We read it and we say, I don't know what he's saying. (laughs) And that's okay, right? But nevertheless, it's so good. That's why Paul exclaimed in Romans 11, 33 through 36, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. First, let me say before I read the rest of that, that should be the expression of our heart. We think about the wisdom and knowledge of God. We savor it. We're amazed by it. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All of this knowledge and wisdom. God, the God who knows all things, who created all things, who upholds all things, has all wisdom and knowledge. And here's the amazing thing, church, is that he's taken all of that and put it right here in a book for us (laughs) in the Bible. Everything that you and I need to know. Now, this is not everything. But it's everything that's God, that God has revealed to us. And it's everything that we need. He's taken all of that wisdom, all of that knowledge, and he's put it in this book that we call the Bible. And so if you ever wonder, has God really given wisdom and knowledge? Look at the book. The book is your answer. The, the Bible is your answer. And the answer is yes, indeed. God has given knowledge and a depth of knowledge, and it's right here for us. Beloved, do you understand how precious the Bible is? There was a man who loved books, and one day he ran into one of his buddies who had just thrown away a Bible that had been stored in the attic of his family's house for generations. I couldn't read it, the friend explained. Somebody named Guten something had printed it. Not Gutenberg, the book lover exclaimed in horror. That Bible was one of the first books ever printed. Why, a copy just sold for over $2 million. And his friend, upon hearing that, was unimpressed. He said, mine wouldn't have even brought a dollar. Some punk named Martin Luther had written all in it. (laughs) Sometimes people just don't know how valuable a Bible is. I say to you this morning, regardless of who printed it, regardless of who scribbled in it, it's valuable because it is the very word of God. It is the wisdom and knowledge of God written down for us. A repository of knowledge, a treasure trove of knowledge and wisdom for us. In the scripture, God has revealed who he is, where we've come from, Where we're going, who we are, 
how we should live in order to find peace and joy and how we can be saved and reconciled to God and so much more. Augustine of Hippo from the 4th century, one of the most important theologians in all of church history, he summed the Bible in this simple way. He said, the Holy Scriptures are letters from home. They're letters from home. In one sense, it's a father writing his children. God the Father gladly gives wisdom and knowledge to his children. And because that's true, that means two things for us. One thing for parents this morning, and one thing for children here this morning, okay? One thing for parents, and then one thing for children. And here it is for the parents. Plain and simple, guys. Parents, instruct your children in the wisdom and knowledge of God. In other words, like God gladly gives wisdom and knowledge, you should gladly give wisdom and knowledge of God to your children. He's clearly instructed us to do that. He's clearly called us to instruct our children. We see an example of a father doing that right here in our text in King Solomon. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He's writing to his son, or his proverbial son at least, but he says, my son, verse 1 and 2, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, he continues on. But what we see here is that Solomon is not, he's not setting passively by, right? He's dropping knowledge on his children. He is pitching wisdom and encouraging them to catch it. He's putting the baton out there and calling them to receive it in the race called life. Now listen, parents, you can only do what you can do, right? You are not called to receive it because I know some of you, you were faithful. You've already raised your children and you were faithful to extend that baton to them and you begged them, take the baton, take it and run with it. And your child said, no, thank you. Guess what? You can only do what you can do. Amen? You can only do what you can do. You are not called. And parents who currently have children, Christy and I talk about this a lot. What if, what if somewhere down the road our children say, forget this Christianity stuff? Will we have been failed parents? Again, I say to you, you are not called to receive it from them. You're only called to hand the baton to them, and to beg them to receive it. But let me say this, they will never receive it if you don't hand it to them. You've got to do your part, right? Back in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, man, we had high hopes for our sprint team, our 4 by 100 meter sprint team. Man, we had the best sprinters that America could offer in that race. Rodney Martin... Travis Paget, Darvis Patton, Tyson Gay. And as the gun sounded in the first qualifying heat, man, we were out to a big old lead. Man, America was winning. But if you go back to the record books and look at that race, to look for their finishing time, you won't see a time. You'll see three letters, D-N-F, which stands for did not finish. You see, as they were coming into the final baton pass, 
between the third and the fourth legs of that, of that relay race, the U.S. team, I don't know how, I mean, these are professionals, they, do, they dropped the baton. Tyson Gay, he, he said later that he reached back for the baton and there was nothing there to take. You see, the Bible tells of one significant time when the people of God dropped the baton of faith. It was Joshua's generation. And if you think about Joshua and the Bible, man, we always hold Joshua up as a hero. And he was a hero, right? He was a hero in many facets of life. Conqueror, warrior, be strong and courageous. We always hear when it comes to Joshua. It was Joshua's generation, the one that followed after Moses. It was Joshua's generation that conquered all of the promised land. And God had done amazing things even miraculous things in their lives. And eventually it, it, it came time for them to die. For that entire generation to die. And here's what we read in Judges chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. Judges 2, 6 through 10 says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And then we read this, church. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. When we read that, our mouths drop. What? Is that like a misprint? How can that be? How can it be that the generation that just saw all those amazing things that God did through Joshua and all those elders, how could it be one generation later that they did not know God? And the answer is, is that Joshua's generation ran their leg of the race really well. But when it came time to pass the baton, they dropped it. There are several reasons as you think about it this morning, and you may come up with more than the three I'm going to give you. But I want to give you three reasons that parents often drop the baton. First, sometimes parents drop the baton because parents take their children's Christianity, their faith, their discipleship for granted. Right? We just kind of expect it, they're kind of like a fish. And if they're going to swim in the Christian water that I swim in, surely they will take on the faith that I've raised them in. We take them to church. We make sure they do the children's ministry stuff and the youth ministry stuff. And then we see so many walk away and never come back to the church. Guys, listen to me. You cannot take your children's faith for granted. You can't just expect it to just kind of happen. You can't be passive. You have to actively engage in discipling them, in raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yes, like I said a moment ago, you cannot make them take the baton. But when they reach for it, there better be something there. 
that you've given them. There better be something that you've given them that they might receive. You must be intentional. Secondly, sometimes parents drop the baton because parents try to outsource their children's discipleship. They outsource it. They outsource it primarily to the church. And listen, we as a church, every Mother's Day, every Thanksgiving, we come up and we do parent-child dedications. And we as a church, as parents and as a church, make promises to one another to help raise that child together. So in one sense, the faith of that child is a church work, all right? But as the community of God, as the church, we will do everything in our power to disciple your children. But ultimately, listen to me very carefully, parent, that is ultimately your job. We're partners with you. We're partners with you in that regard. We want to come alongside you. We want to equip you to do what God has ultimately called you to do. I'm so thankful for Pastor Will and and, and faith. I'm so thankful for all the small group children's teachers, preschool and teen and youth teachers. I'm, I'm so thankful for all of them, man. They love to pour in your kids. And I love when I pick my kids up afterward, man. You guys, we have top-notch teachers who are instructing your children in the Christian faith. But we only get them for about three hours a week, right? And the rest of the time, they're yours, right? They're yours. You must instruct them. You cannot outsource their discipleship. You cannot outsource passing on the faith. Third, sometimes parents drop the baton because they don't really have a baton to pass. You see what I'm saying? They don't really have the faith to pass on. You can't pass on what you don't have. Amen? You can't. That's why it's so, it's so important for you as a parent to strive to be strong in the Lord, to dig in, to grow as close to Christ as you can be. Whether that's a parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle, right? God has put you in that family to be strong in the Lord, to pass on that faith. Whatever the case may be, don't let your children's testimony be Tyson Gay's testimony who said, I reached back for the baton and there was nothing. No, we have to actively pass on the baton of faith as God calls us to do in Psalm 78. Psalm 78 verses 1 through 7. Listen to this, man. This is a, this is a foundational text for children's ministry and youth ministry. But most importantly, it is a foundational text for parenting. Psalm 78 verse 1 through 7 says, Give ear, O people, O my people, to my teaching." Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have what? Told us. We will not hide them from our children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he's done. He's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know him, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children 
so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. This is all of our jobs as the Christian church, but especially, ultimately, it is the job of Christian parents to pass on, to tell the next generation of the faith and the mighty works of God. But how? How do you do this? How do you instruct them? How do you instruct your children in the wisdom and knowledge of God? Let me give you just a few practical ways, and I'll be putting together a resource list even this week to help you along with that. But let me just give you some, just some practical things. One is simply read to them. Read to them. Read the Bible to them. You can do the regular Bible. That's fine. Just get the regular Bible and read it. And you say, well, it's over their head. Well, do it in a way that connects with them. Do it in a way that grabs their attention. If you make it stale, guess what? It's going to be stale. But if you make it alive, it'll be alive. It is the living Word of God, and it is worthy of creative ways of presenting it to children. Read the regular Bible, but there's also some really good resources out there, like the Jesus Storybook Bible, great resource, or the Big Picture Story Bible. When we're thinking about smaller children here, right, these, they're colorful, they're ways that, children, that they can interact with it and all those things, and, and they really point out the, 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 big, the, the big stories that are really important for children to know that resonate with children. So those are great resources for you. But don't just read the Bible to them. Also read stories that illustrate the Bible. In other words, that communicate biblical truths, such as Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you guys have read Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah, or maybe you've seen the movie. That's a great book to read through with especially older children, but younger children can handle it as well, to sort of think through and to present to them the truth of God's Word. Or R.C. Sproul, uh, Christy and I love a, a series of books that he did of children's books that, that teach biblical truth, like The Priest with Dirty Clothes or The Prince's Poison Cup. He has five or six, and there are many others. that They're just outstanding. Of course, when you read the Bible and you read books that teach the Bible, you don't just read the books. You, you have a conversation, right? You talk about what you're reading. You process what you're reading with your children. So read to them. Here's a second way, a very practical way, is to read with them. Now, this is talking about as we get older, right? Older children need to be challenged. Can I say that again? Older children need to be challenged. Currently, Zach and I are reading together through Wayne Grudem's Christian Beliefs. It's uh, 20 basics every Christian should know, and we're reading through it um, at a speed slower in which I would like to read it, but nevertheless, we are reading through it. Uh, it's this highly abridged version of Grudem's systematic theology. And so there are a lot of books like that that, that you can pick up. In fact, let me just say this, and, and, and there's several on this list as I'll read to you some other things. But right out the back here, near the couches, is a resource center that the, the ministers of this church have put together. Books that we have recommended, and many of them are aimed to help you disciple your children. Go check them out. They're back there for a reduced price. We're not just giving them away because we want to replace that and keep it replenished. But if, if, if those interest you, 
Those are back there. Go check them out. Go check them out, all right? So there's that. So you read with your children, engaging with them, talking with them. But third, you can do this. And we kind of talked about this two weeks ago. We talked about having family devotions. Guys, that's one of the ways when you get together and just get around and you open up the Bible or you open up something and, and, and read it and talk about it. Listen, it gets crazy. No joke, this week, one of our family devotions turned into an all-out wrestling match. I saw one kid submission the other one. <laughs> he got him in a leg lock and he had to tap out. I was like, what is going on here? But that's real. That's life. And we say things like, well, if they're not going to sit there, we're not going to do it. No, no, no. <laughs> you roll with the punches. Literally, roll with the punches, okay? That's what you do. So you do devotions as a family. You don't have to do it every night, but do it. Do it. There's all sorts. Of course, you have the Bible. but There's all sorts of good devotional books like Big Truths for Young Hearts. Love that book. I think Pastor Will is reading that book with his kids. Everything a child should know about God. It seems like we passed that book out to several folks a year or so ago. One that's back there in the resource corner, one that my family uses a lot, is called Leading Little Ones to God. All of those. And there's all sorts of other resources that are really, really good to help you in in family devotions. A fourth practical way to pass the baton of faith to your children is through catechesis or catechism. Now, I know that sounds like a disease, okay? <laughs> maybe, or maybe you were brought up in a Christian tradition that, that regularly utilized catechisms to teach biblical truth, but you found them boring. Or maybe you've, you've heard that catechisms, that maybe that's something that Catholics do or maybe Presbyterians do. Or maybe you've never even heard the word catechism, okay? But don't panic. The word catechism, or catechize, actually comes straight from Scripture. It comes straight from the Greek. 1 Corinthians 14, 19. Paul says, In the church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to catechize, in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So catechism, catechize, is nothing more than to teach truths of the Bible using, and the form of a catechism is a question and answer. So there's all sorts of good ones out there, right? Good Baptist ones and, and, and other Christian traditions as well. But, you know, again, we've utilized one called a catechism for girls and boys. It's really good for young children, really good. In fact, if you're interested in that resource, I have a, I've put together a, 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 a Word document of it with a schedule that you can use and how to do it well and all those things. I've got it for you. Questions. Here are some of the examples. For instance, question one of the catechism. Who made you? And the answer is that you teach your child is, God made me. Think about how foundational that is for your child to know beyond a shadow of doubt that God made them. What else did God make? Question number two, God made all things. Question number three, why did God make you into all things? Answer, for his own glory. Question four, how can you glorify God? Answer, by loving him and doing what he commands. We've seen great fruit in our family from using these. And I'll be glad to pass those on to you if you're interested in those. Just reach out to me. But there's the Westminster, there's the Heidelberg, there's all sorts of others. But there is a new one. 
that, uh, that also is really good that I would commend to you. And this one especially is good. Again, older children moving into their, and, and, and those who are in their teens, are they need to be what? Challenged? Everybody say challenged. Oh my goodness, the teenager's like, oh no, what's he talking about? No, right? The New City Catechism is a great tool for your family. In fact, if you're interested in one of these, I have eight copies that I would love to give you today. Come by guest info afterward, and I would love to give your family one of these. It's, it's, it's really helpful. It's only 52, only 52 questions in that, but it will help instruct your children and your older children particularly in the Christian faith. Fifth, I would say this. How do you do it? What, what's the practical way? Well, you're doing it today. Bring them to church. Praise God. Bring them to church, man. Don't make it optional. Bring them to church. Bring them to a small group at 9 a.m. Bring them to the sermon. Help your kid experience this. Help them to think through and process. Help your children feel like they're a part of the service, but bring them to church. And then finally, I would say this. How do you pass on the faith? You live the Christian life before them. Live the Christian life before them. We often say that the Christian life is caught more than taught, and that may be true, but it takes both. Think about that for just a moment. If they just see your life without the teaching then they'll say, my mommy and my dad, they were, they were good people. But they won't have the depth of understanding. And if you just teach them the truth and you don't live it out, they will say they were a liar. They never did what they said they believed. It takes both. You have to live it and teach it. So parents, instruct your children in the wisdom and knowledge of God. God gladly gives wisdom and knowledge to his children, and you should as well. And because that is true, now for the children. When I say children, anybody who's living at home still, who's not an adult, okay? I guess, uh, I guess that's all kids, right? I say it that way. But if you are a child, if you are a teenager, tween, child, preschooler, anywhere in between right there. Listen to me very carefully what I say to you and what the Word says to you today here. It's this, children, seek and soak up the wisdom and knowledge of God. Look back at Proverbs 2 with me. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you will call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We just said a moment ago, young folks, that your parents' job is to have the baton of faith and to extend the baton of faith to you. But here is your job, young folks, is to receive it, to take it and run with it. Take it and run with it. Incline your ear to your parents' teaching. Call out for insight. Call out for wisdom. I especially like verse 4 where it says to seek it like silver. Young folks, there are a lot of things to chase after. 
a lot of things to chase after sports and video games and clubs and, and just all sorts of things that we could do with our time and give our heart to. But the word of God, the teaching of God, God himself is like precious metal, beyond valuable. In fact, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field that we should go sell everything to go buy. Seek it, search for it. And if you'll seek it and search for it, you will find it. And guess what will happen? Verse 5 tells you what will happen. You will understand the fear of the Lord and will find the knowledge of God. That's where it's at, guys. Young folks, that's where it's at. The wisdom and knowledge of God. You'll find it if you'll seek the teaching, the wisdom and knowledge of God. If you seek it, you'll find it. And I want to say this. The first treasure in the wisdom of knowledge of God, as it says, is the fear of the Lord. There are young folks here today who have not yet repented and trusted Christ as their Savior. The Bible says that you should fear God. Your sin has separated you from God. And your only hope is to turn from that sin and to trust in the Savior that God sent. Christ died that you would be saved. Your only hope is to repent and to trust in Jesus. And I pray this morning, some of you are maybe 15, maybe 17, maybe 13, maybe 8, maybe 10, maybe 6. But if you have never repented and trusted Christ as your Savior, we pray that as you hear about this wisdom and knowledge of God, that it would cut you to the quick and burden you to your heart, that you would fear God and turn from sin and trust in Jesus. Most likely your parents have been telling you that. But it will never take hold until you take the baton in Jesus Christ and run with it. So I want to challenge you today, young folks. The baton has been extended to you. Will you take it and run with it? Here's my final prayer. May our homes and our hearts be filled with the wisdom and knowledge of God. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. 
And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.